Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Thursday, September 26, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, key lines from the whistleblower complaint, what Pelosi left behind on a plane, an update on Booker's fundraising, an update on Republican fundraising, Michigan launches automatic voter registration, and Biden goes on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Our top story today is about the whistleblower complaint related to President Trump's phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. That complaint was declassified late last night, then released this morning. There's a link in the show notes to read that. As I record this, the identity of the whistleblower is still secret, thankfully, and that document is quite interesting. Now, one thing that I didn't actually say in yesterday's coverage, and that maybe I needed to, is the plain fact of why this latest Trump stuff is pertinent to a show about elections. Well, it's because the phone call with Zelensky is evidence of Trump's alleged attempt to interfere in the 2020 election. Let me give you slightly more. It appears that Trump solicited the help of a foreign government to aid his own campaign in the upcoming election. And we know it's about the election because he specifically talks about having the Ukrainians talk to both his personal lawyer and members of the U.S. government about a likely rival in that upcoming election, at least the most likely seeming rival as of the July polls when the phone call took place. So this appears to be, and yes, investigations are ongoing, but it appears to be both an abuse of power and an attempt to bring a foreign nation into the U.S. election. So let's say you have a family member who's asking what the big deal is. Well, here it is in a nutshell. Trump withheld federal money from a foreign country, then asked for a favor from its president. The favor was he wanted that foreign country to interfere in our election by messing with Joe Biden. Okay, so just write that down and carry it with you to Thanksgiving or whatever. Okay, so reading the whistleblower's complaint this morning, a few key sections jumped out at me. The first one is, quote, In the days following the phone call, I learned from multiple U.S. officials that senior White House officials had intervened to lock down all records of the phone call, especially the official word-for-word transcript of the call that was produced, as is customary, by the White House Situation Room. This set of actions underscored to me that White House officials understood the gravity of what had transpired in the call. White House officials told me they were directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic transcript from the computer system in which such transcripts are typically stored for coordination, finalization, and distribution to cabinet-level officials. Instead, the transcript was loaded into a separate electronic system that is otherwise used to handle classified information of an especially sensitive nature. One White House official described this as an abuse of this electronic system because the call did not contain anything remotely sensitive from a national security perspective. End quote. So this brings up several questions, but the most obvious one is, where is that word-for-word transcript and why wasn't it released? What we got yesterday is not that. We got a reconstruction based on some notes and recollections, and according to one report I heard, a voice recognition computer system that listened to the call? Okay, but why not just release the actual transcript? One more key issue in the whistleblower complaint has to do with the involvement of Rudy Giuliani, who is the president's personal attorney and does not currently hold any office in our government. Reading again from the whistleblower complaint, quote, 
Starting in mid-May, I heard from multiple U.S. officials that they were deeply concerned by what they viewed as Mr. Giuliani's circumvention of national security decision-making processes to engage with Ukrainian officials and relay messages back and forth. End quote. This gets at the issue of bringing outside folks into the foreign policy operations of the U.S. We don't even know if Giuliani has a security clearance, so why is he talking to foreign leaders on behalf of the U.S. government? Giuliani is not currently an elected or appointed official, and he has no business operating as if he were one. That is yet another serious concern here. Okay, and let's read one last section from the very end. Quote, On 18 July, an Office of Management and Budget, OMB, official informed departments and agencies that the president earlier that month had issued instructions to suspend all U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. Neither OMB nor the NSC staff knew why this instruction had been issued. During interagency meetings on 23 July and 26 July, OMB officials again stated explicitly that the instruction to suspend this assistance had come directly from the president, but they were still unaware of a policy rationale. As of early August, I heard from U.S. officials that some Ukrainian officials were aware that U.S. aid might be in jeopardy, but I do not know how or when they learned of it. End quote. This morning, Acting Director of National Intelligence Joseph McGuire appeared before the House Intelligence Committee. Chairman Adam Schiff had a key exchange with McGuire early on. Reading from a New York Magazine article by Adam K. Raymond, quote, After pressing McGuire on how he handled the whistleblower report, Schiff turned to the person who blew the whistle. Is that person a political hack, as Trump has said, Schiff asked. McGuire danced around the answer before providing the quote that Schiff was no doubt looking for. I believe the whistleblower did the right thing. End quote. And here's the relevant clip. Listen in, and McGuire speaks first. As I said before, Mr. Chairman, I believe the whistleblower are, is are operating in good faith. Well, then, they couldn't, be, the then law. They, they couldn't be in good faith if they were acting as a political hack, could they? Mr. Chairman, my job is to support and lead the entire intelligence community. That individual works for me. Therefore, it is my job to make sure that I support and defend that person. You don't have any reason to accuse them of disloyalty to our country or suggest they're beholden to some other country, Absol Sir, absolutely not. I believe that the whistleblower followed the steps every step of the way. However, the statute was one in this situation involving the President of the United States who is not in the intelligence community or matters underneath my supervision did not meet the criteria for urgent concern. Well, I'm just asking about the whistleblower right now. I think the whistleblower did the right thing. Next up, a little palate cleanser. I just thought this was fun. In a story for Reuters by Susan Cornwell, we got a surprising insight on how House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi's speech, which I played a big piece of yesterday, actually came to be. Reading from the story, quote, On Monday evening, Nancy Pelosi set about writing one of the most important speeches of her long political career, about her decision to open an impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. Then she left it on a plane. The Democratic leader of the U.S. House of Representatives had spent all weekend mulling new allegations against Trump and began sketching out a response on a flight from New York to Washington. She wrote the first draft of her speech that she would give Tuesday, then left it behind, said a source familiar with what happened. But all was not lost. At least she had it organized in her head, the source said, end quote. 
Now, I think we can all relate to this at some level. Even if it's just your homework or your glasses or your phone or your book, sometimes you just forget it and leave it in that stupid pocket with those stupid magazines and SkyMall and whatever. And that's apparently what happened to Speaker Pelosi. So somewhere out there is the first draft of a truly historic speech. Now, whether it's in the lost and found or has been recycled by now, we may never know. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. On Monday this week, a.k.a. a million years ago in political time, I reported that Senator Cory Booker had raised an urgent call for fundraising. Long story short, his campaign manager said Booker needed $1.7 million by the end of this month, which is this coming Monday. Well, as of late Wednesday, the campaign had crossed the $1 million mark. By this morning, they were at about $1.1 million, which is roughly 65% of the overall number. So, if Booker can maintain his current fundraising velocity, he will hit his target, and presumably then will stay in the race. It'll also be interesting to see, either way, what his overall Q3 numbers look like, since we will have the rare ability to know how much he collected in his final 10 days. One other note is that in the latest tweet I've seen, the breakdown includes the number of donations since that big emergency call was put out. That number is 26,584 donations. If you do a little math, that means the average donation in this little micro-fundraising period for Booker is $41.26. In a specific response to the impeachment inquiry, Republicans have managed to raise a lot of money for 2020. According to a Politico story by Alex Eisenstadt, this specific issue has helped Republican voters focus on finishing up Q3 quite nicely. Reading from that article, quote, Trump's re-election campaign and the Republican National Committee on Tuesday sent an array of fundraising emails inviting conservatives to donate and join the Official Impeachment Defense Task Force, which was described as a group made up of only President Trump's most loyal supporters, the ones committed to fighting for him, re-electing him, and taking back the House. By the end of the day, party officials said, the fundraising offensive had netted around $1 million. End quote. A million bucks in one day is legitimately huge, and it appears to be powered in part by a Republican response to the very successful Act Blue organization, which is widely used on the Democratic side to pull in small-dollar donations. Reading again from Politico, quote, 
Republicans are orchestrating the new offensive through WinRed, a newly launched and Trump-endorsed online donor platform. Republican officials hope the site will finally enable them to compete with the Democratic small-dollar juggernaut Act Blue, which raked in around $1.6 billion during the 2018 midterms. Republicans had long lacked a centralized apparatus that allowed them to engage in the kind of digital fundraising they did on Tuesday. End quote. So, WinRed is basically Act Blue for Republicans, and it allows for things like splitting your donation in a super simple way. This has been a technical weakness on the Republican side for a while now. The new platform should help the RNC direct money towards specific races by allowing donors to say, hey, give part of this money to the president's re-election fund, but give the other part to a fund for some other Republican candidate. And there are plenty of House and Senate races that could use that money. This is especially useful given the incredible email list the president has and his massive fundraising advantage so far. We will have updated numbers on the Q3 stuff within the next few weeks, but even before that, overall, he had outraised every other candidate in this field by, let me check my notes here, oh, 80-ish million dollars. Now, yeah, he's also spent a lot of that money already on ads and stuff, but still, be prepared for Republicans to go into 2020 with excellent funding. Next up, some news out of Michigan. Earlier this week on National Voter Registration Day, the state announced that it would automatically enroll new voters like a bunch of other states have already done. Reading from a Michigan Live article by Alyssa Bergeber, quote, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson announced today that automatic voter registration has officially launched in Michigan, and online voter registration will be available following the November 2019 election. Making voter registration automatic for eligible citizens means more Michigan residents will have access to participating in our democracy, Benson said in a release. I look forward to this both strengthening our democracy and ultimately helping transactions move more quickly in branch offices by eliminating extra paperwork. Michigan joins 17 other states and the District of Columbia in enacting automatic voter registration. When Michigan citizens apply for or update their driver's license or personal ID cards, they automatically are registered to vote unless they are ineligible or don't want to be registered. End quote. Now, if you're curious, there is a link in the show notes to the list of states with systems like this, provided by the Brennan Center. Now, not all of them are running yet, but the list includes links to the relevant laws and when they are expected to be implemented. Last night, Joe Biden went on Jimmy Kimmel Live to discuss the current political situation. He and Kimmel started out by joking around, and it was legitimately a lot of fun. There is a link to the full interview in the show notes. It's a little over 15 minutes long, and there are several moments in there, especially related to healthcare and climate change, that I think are worth listening to. But, of course, because of all the stuff, I have to choose my clip wisely. So here is Biden, in his own words, commenting on the recent move to impeach the president. So listen in, and this will close out the show for today. But um, what, I, what I do worry about is I do worry about all the other families that can't take care of themselves and what, what's happening with this president and his constant diversions into... Look, we want to get his attention, have 70 polls in a row showing you beating him, and that all of a sudden gets his attention. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why I'm the object of his attention. But look, there is much more at stake than, uh, than whether or not... Uh, He's acting so bizarrely. This is 
The idea that someone would call a head of a foreign state ahead of time withhold significant military aid that's badly needed in order to prevent the Russian separatists who are in, in Ukraine from taking over Ukraine. Um, and, uh, and then ask uh, basically to, can you cooperate with uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, he's coming over and, uh, and, uh, and, I, and the thing I learned, we learned, we all learned recently is that statement that uh, the 2000 word statement released was that um, talked about getting the Justice Department engaged in this. I mean, it's, uh, it's such a blatant uh, abuse of power that it's, uh, it, it just, uh, I don't think it can stand. Yeah, it's well. Do you think it is an impeachable? This particular instance is an impeachable offense based on the material that they acknowledge today. It seems to me it's awful hard to avoid the conclusion that it is an impeachable offense and a violation of constitutional responsibility. But look, that's I am confident in the ability of the House and Senate to deal with this. My job is just to go out and flat beat him. Um, Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, another big day with congressional testimony and trying to juggle a lot of moving parts and developing stories. For tomorrow, you're going to get a nice update on a bunch of stories that have been pushed aside because of the big stuff this week. That includes what's up with all the recent polling, and specifically how Warren is doing in that polling, as well as a variety of listener questions, a Canada anecdote, the October debate, and some other kind of business-as-usual topics. I am looking forward to getting back into a somewhat regular routine, though, as you know, big news might break. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.